So, Cam, thank you for joining us. I wanted to first mention that you and I, our connection, the part, the part that still baffles the mind for me is that many moons ago, we both attended, we were attending a Beyond Basics, a level two training at High Five, and we were both participants in that training. Pan 10 plus years, we are both responsible adults with children. Ooh, that's scary. <laughs> this is 10 years of us, you know, doing a Beyond Basics, doing a level two training, and then staying in the field, which I think is the part that is, a, is more unique that I think that people might realize. There's certain people that I've trained with and seen in meta conferences and worked with and blah, 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 all this stuff. And most of them no longer are in this industry. So the fact that you and I are both still in this industry is very exciting and uh, gratifying. And I think for the people listening, it's proof that yes, it still is possible to keep hammering away at working in the field. What do you, Camilla, attribute to it? man um lack of imagination yeah i I mean step one yes i think for me in a a way for me it's a selfish thing because like i feel good with the work that i do you know like when i see facilitators because right now I'm training facilitators in a, in a small way too. So like when I see those positive experiences, those like small little nuggets of wisdom of growth, it, it makes me feel good. And it's like, all right, I'm going to keep on riding with this. It's like, as soon as this doesn't feel good, that's when I need to reflect on like, what am I doing this for? So I was like working at a halfway house in Utah where I'm from and I was working a graveyard shift and it got very real. Like, you know, physical altercations, punching, kicked, bit. And I thought like at that time, I really wanted to do clinical psychology. And it was too much. I was like, this if this is what it is, it's too much for me. I need to go. And my sister had worked at this camp, the leadership school at Kiev Wavis Education, and was like, I think you'd be really good at this. You should apply and try it out. And at that point, I was gung-ho just to get away from that work. Bravo to the people who can do it. But for me, it was just, it took a toll. So I applied, I interviewed, flew out the next month, never been there, didn't have a car, had nothing, just like willing to try it and jump into it. And it was just, you know, that first, the staff training you attend, you create those very tight bond connections because we're just, this training is what you're going to be doing with the students anyways. And it just happened so quickly. And I was just like, this is amazing. And it just like, you know, day in and day out, I'd wake up and not hate my life, not be like, I've got to go to work. It was like, let's get to work. Let's go hang out with some kids. Let's have some fun. And that was the moment I was like, I'm going to make a career out of this. This isn't just a job. It's not a blip. It's not a camp gig for a summer. This is what I want to do. What did you do? What was the intentionality behind what you did to try to make that career possible? Because sometimes like, yeah, sure, we can say it. Like, I'm going to make this a career. But you have to actually do something. What, what What were your steps? So my mentor at the time, Rob Riley, a session of summer camp was coming up and they were looking for a new batch of young directors. And he pulled me aside and said, I think you'd be really good at the challenge course and you could do more team building things instead of just the working in our, our tripping department, which is a, we do a lot of fun stuff taking kids into the main woods. But he knew I enjoyed working with the students on 
the team building, the relationship skills. And so he's like, I want to send you to this training at high five where you'd become level two and you'd be able to do, you know, rescue cutaways and have more in-depth conversations and really get to know some people in the field. And it, it was intimidating at first, that thought. I wasn't a climber. I had to do the elements when we were doing training just so we could put ourselves in climber's shoes. But it wasn't like my like, yep, I'm going to get in a harness. I'm going to go up at height and just hang out for days. And so there's that, that dilemma of like, do I do this just for the fear of heights that I had? But it, ultimately, it was I knew it would further me and be beneficial. And so I was like, yeah, let's do it. The, the older I get, the more I'm in this field, I find myself in that comfort zone more. Even the most recent level two training I attended, it's like, I know this stuff, but I still need to... But I, I like, you know, you forget, you you get rusty. So like, how do you push yourself back into that learning and growth zone, even though your comfort zone's expanded so much? I got some, I got some questions here that I've, I've written down. Some of them are related to this, to the work, but some of them relate to your, to you, to you and I and our nerdiness. So maybe I'm just going to go, even, I'm going to keep going between them. So why is it that we, when someone sneezes, we say, bless you, but if someone farts, the expectation is on the person who farted to say, excuse me. What do you think that is? Well, I think a sneeze can be considered cute. You know, like there's there's some like charm to a sneeze, not mine. There's nothing charming about farts. <laughs> there's nothing charming about farts. I think we should, though, maybe do a little switcheroony. Let's have, a, let's have some sort of podcast-related pact. The, the next time that someone sneezes in your presence, you will just stare at them accusatorily. Uh, I'm waiting. And then if someone farts, you say, bless you. <laughs> okay, well, that makes sense. And I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Someone was saying that in Spain, they say words that are Spanish, but I don't know the words, obviously the Spanish versions, but they say three different things for like, if you sneeze like three times in a row, or like if you sneeze one, the first thing you say is health. Then it's money is the second one. And then it's love. So now if someone sneezes, you'll say health, probably in a nicer way than just yelling at them health. And then if they sees a second time, you'd say money. And then if they sees a third time, you'd say love. I'm going to try, I'm going to, I'm going to give that, I'm going to give that a whirl. What's your favorite thing about your job currently? Uh, just working with all the staff, spending time with the staff and watching them at the challenge course and work with groups and able to support them through their hard conversations with students is great. Watching someone come in and be timid and shy and not even want to belay a life, you know, going up an element to like one of their last days, they're like confidently talking to people down from 30 feet up in the air because they're scared and they're like, I've had that same experience. And it's just great watching humans grow. It's, it's such a unique experience. The thing that I think that Kiev does really well consistently is sending people to train. I think of, of, of many sites, often you might get one level two trained person. Uh, I think it's on a regular basis, you have more than two. What's your mindset on why you think having more level twos on site and more professional training in that capacity is important for your program? We see on average like 8,500 to 10,000 people a year. And, you know, burnout's a huge factor in this field. And so if there's only one or two level twos, we try to always have a level two at the course or nearby in case of emergencies. And so being able to spread that workload out greatly helps. Also, we just have, we're very fortunate that we have this great staff that we have that we always want to try to elevate and support. And even if they decide not to stay with us, we want them to leave with 
marketable skill sets, someplace that they can say, I came here, I worked, and I left a better human being. And so we're very fortunate that we can do that as well. We've, we've referenced that you and I connected over Final Fantasy. So Final Fantasy is a video game for folks who are out there. And this is the point where we might lose some listeners, but we might gain some listeners. This is like somewhat aspirational maybe as well. But if you could be any Final Fantasy character, who would you be and why? Oh, definitely Vivi from Final Fantasy Nine. I'm putting my hands in my in my head because I was thinking about this for like half an hour before I jumped on this call and I landed on Vivi. You landed on Vivi too? I, I wanted to be like two different answers, but I feel like we, you're going to say stuff that's similar to what I came to conclusion of. Anyway, tell me why Vivi. First of all, if I lived in a world with magic, why wouldn't I want magic? You know, that's an easy one. But also there's just like this great redemption arc with Vivi of like this lost soul finding their almost like a lab ex- experiment and then creating that redemption is, I mean, like I played that game when I was the first time I played through it, I was 13 and it just blew my mind, like really sucked me in. It's a great story. Yeah. My first Final Fantasy game was eight and then I played seven and then I played nine. All three of those hold something special in my heart because it was right around my early tween teen years. Like it's like that. There's something very special about those games. But I recently replayed nine, and because uh, I got it on the Switch, and then yeah, there's something about that game. It's just uniquely different in the art style as well. But but Vivi's Vivi for some reason is like the character I always like. This this the story I really liked, and there's like a a shy, playful stuff around. Like he feels like he's also the mental health advocate of the games, and I just feel a little bit more related to the story of Vivi uh, than maybe other characters in it, like. The Dane is just too cool. There's certain characters that are just like, that are just too unachievable from, I, I'd love to be them. Like, I'd love to be Cloud. Are you kidding me? Of course. Like, I'd, I'd love to be School. School Leonhardt. Like, that's, there's nothing cooler about that guy. But then there's, there's the characters that are kind of a little bit more like Shy and Reserve, but have just the biggest skill sets, like the range of skill set that's just overarching. So wild that we both picked the same character. He's the clinch player in that game. Like if he's in your party, you're gonna do insane damage too. We just lost half of the No, or maybe we I think maybe they're in fraud, because I'm gonna keep on this trend just because well, maybe I'll go I'll I'll bring him back real quick. All right, listeners, you can tune back in because I'm gonna go Rob's Corsi related. I'm gonna come back to Final Fantasy because I had an an additional question. What's your favorite knot? Uh, my favorite knot is like in terms of fun to tie probably going to be the alpine butterfly you know it's just it's fun something you can do to fidget with but recently i've been finding myself tying um the triple figure eight just because it's like it's weird it's funky it's people look at it and it like doesn't make sense but it works we don't use it at our course i don't teach it but it's just something that's like look at this weird thing we'd have the Alpine Butterfly is mine. It, 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 there's something. There's something about the fact that there's so many different ways to make it, and they and all of the ways you make it really don't make sense how it ends up how it is. It's there's a magic trick I feel to that one. I also don't use the triple eight, but I like to introduce it, especially at like more advanced trainings. I throw it out when people are working on the knots. If people are really good, because sometimes you get in a group of twelve people or whatever, some people who have just mastered it, and some people are struggling, and then the people who master like look bored. So if I've got a group of people who have figured out the Super 8, double figure 8 bite on the bite, 
and they're like, oh yeah, it's easy and they can tie it repetitively. What I will do is then I'll go and find my back tire, triple eight, and then I'll put it on the table and I say, figure out how to make this without taking this apart. And I just like the, I love the problem solving around that knot because it is, how it gets there is also kind of cool. There's some, there's something cool to the, the forming of it. Once you understand it, you can make as many bites as you want, which I think is like kind of, now you've got even an odd number bites. Um, I once made like a 15 quintuple eight, I think it is like, but it required so much rope. And also it looked like a giant ball. You could barely tell there were bites there. They were like, but look how many bites I've got. Where would you use that for? Nowhere. There's an understanding. Once you start to understand the mechanics of, of not tying, I think, like the how you get to certain A's and B's, I think it makes it easier to, for people to learn because they get all confused about the hands. Like if they don't know that if you don't go to enough turns around on a, on a Super A, you get overhand and you don't know if you go too many, you get like a nine. Like if you don't know that the wrong way is to do it, I think sometimes they don't understand the right way to do it, right? Like I want them to see it. Well, it's like when you're tying a knot, it's like dancing. You know, you start off, you think the bigger the movements, the more rope you have, the better it's going to be. But it's really those smaller steps that you're going to really get your knots down right. So, like, I try to control the space. Like, you're doing too many big movements. Control the ropes. Make it smaller, easier. Yeah, especially when they make their first initial loops. Like, those are the ones that, that I think that catches up the people the most. I don't have rope with me, but if you've got, like, a, a loop and the cross section of it is, like, you've got a massive loop. and they're dealing with that. When I make my eights, I have a tiny little loop. Like I make my loop small. The bite size is very controlled and I can hold it with one hand. Whereas if you hold a big loop, it flops, right? Like you can't, then you can figure out where you're supposed to go with your hands. No, I agree with that philosophy of like not tying. Like keep, keep things controlled and small. So I recently learned a brand new way to tie the Alpine butterfly. It's, it, 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 it's very exciting to me. Hey friends, I'm just jumping in real quick on this episode to let you know that we have some jobs available in the training team. The two roles that you'll find on our website are listed under trainer and adventure facilitator and also senior trainer and adventure educator. Both of those are involving the training team. Both of those are going to be working alongside myself and Lisa and Chris and Rich and Hannah and Kira all of whom you've heard on the podcast before. The trainer and adventure facilitator is more of an entry-level position. And so if you're really interested in this field and you've been operating on a challenge course for a couple of years and you're really excited to take that next step into training, then that would be the opportunity for you. The senior trainer and adventure educator is for someone who's been in the industry for quite some time and has also had some training experience, preferably at another professional vendor member. So if you're listening to this and you work for a PVM and you'd be interested in working at High Five, I encourage you to check out that position as well. I could go into the details around like uh, salary ranges and all that kind of stuff. You can find those in the link in the description of this episode. So I'm going to put the link in there with all the information about this position, including the salary range, which is critical and important in your decision making. But I wanted to share the why as I've often described in this, rather than the what, the why of why you might want to work for High Five and in the training team. I'm coming up on my 10th year working at High Five. 
The organization is full of experts in the field, both in the construction side of things, but also the facilitation side of things. And I've had the pleasure and opportunity to be able to grow and learn from all of those people around me. There are constant opportunities for professional development, both internally and externally, going to conferences and the like. And I have found in the last nine, ten years, the growth that I've had as a facilitator, as a challenge course operator, as a trainer, have exponentially grown in a way that wouldn't have I wouldn't have had had I not have ended up working for an organization like High Five. So if you're interested, then please check out the description. And if you have any questions, you want to ask me anything specifically as you read the description and you're still curious, then uh, message me. If you're on Instagram, you can direct message me there at Vertical Playpen, or you can email me pbrown at highfiveadventure.org. That is my work email, pbrown at highfiveadventure.org. All right, thanks everyone, and let's get back to the episode. Okay, now going back to the more important question. All right, listeners, you could take a pause or a break, or maybe you can tune back in if you were like n- n- not uh, boring. Pull over, stretch your legs, take a walk. Come back in two minutes, or pass, or keep pressing the forwards. I guess if you could assign, based on what you know of me, and I'm going to do the same for you, what Final Fantasy character would you say I am most like? Well, I know I've only thrown this on you, so yours has to be a little bit more impromptu. You see, it's unfair, really, but. Um, up to me. maybe I'll go first that way I'll give you some little bit of time to think even as you get distracted on what I've assigned you well I think I've got it it's going to sound like a cop-out answer well if it's a great character then I love it well it was going to be Vivi it, it's going to sound like a cop-out answer no well why why do you think I'm why do you think I'm Vivi because that it this is the real part I want to be complimented or something and then I get to do it to you I, I just know you know I've known you over the years worked very well with you in a lot of capacities like you are more of that like standoffish just because you can be that presenter in front of people doesn't mean that's your go-to you like to be by the side really like subdued there's a strange twist that you're actually from england that like a lot of people don't see coming and you know you have your abilities to work with i've seen you work with like little itty bitty kids all the way to you know adults on challenge course all the way to simple games and activities so you have that utility belt of the spells if you will the different elements that you implement very easily and can change out and you can be a, a pinch hitter in your high five team. That's wonderful. I'm going to just keep the, I'm going to repeat that a couple of times on the, on the audio. <laughs> that, that, that will be the episode. Well, it's wonderful. Thank you for joining us, Cam. It's been a real pleasure. Uh, you can find more info about Cam. <laughs> <laughs> just do the end. Uh, well, thank you for that. That was very pleasing. Now I feel a little bit bad about mine because I didn't pick Vivi. I'm going to say this and people can Google this character and then we'll feel like I'm possibly insulting. I'm going to pick for you. It's not actually a main character, but what I like about this particular thing is this is something, it's one of the things that appears in every single Final Fantasy. Like, you know that there are certain monsters or creatures in the universe of the final fantasies that no matter the storyline or the planet that they exist on it always appears this is partly why i've decided to pick it because i think like you no know, throughout my generations i keep seeing you in different places but it's always the same cam right like it's always the cam that i know 
And you could think, which one is he picking? Is he picking a chocobo? No. Is he picking Cactuar? No. The thing that I've decided to pick for you, Cam Miller, is Tonberry. Now, this is where, if people Googled the Tonberry, I, I might even go to, say, Tonberry King. Maybe I'd go even as far as that. Tonberry King. I'm going to take a look at this Tonberry King really quickly. T-O-N-B-E-R-R-Y. Now, what you'll find is that it's a small creature that holds a cooking knife. Now, but the reason I pick it is because I think that you are a person who, I there's part of it every time I see the Tonberry in all the games, I'm you, you get it often towards end game, mainly because it is very small and subdued, but incredibly powerful. More powerful than when you might assume from the, the, the get-go. And I think that you offer qualities in the world of facilitation that I think maybe you even underestimate by the size of, of, of your impact. But I think that your impact of people like myself and people that we've interacted with AE and other places in, in Kiev as well is, is much larger and overarching than maybe you think. And Tombury has a, has a power that during, during the fights, he's very slow and methodical. He comes at you slow, but like at some point he'll use a magic, and I can't remember exactly the name of it, but he will use something that is like, it's, it's, it can defeat even the strongest other character. And so I think that there, there's something about like just the, the subdued maybe nature, but the, maybe the silliness of the, I think sometimes you can be very comical up front. So I think like the, the out front, but once you get to know you more, you realize how deep you are and how good you are at your, your job and your facilitation. So, and it's, and it's in all of the games. So that's why I pick for you, Tom Berry. Thank you. I'm quite flattered. I wanted there to be a Google search. <laughs> so that when people are looking they have no idea what we're talking about not only do i talk about final fantasy i talk about a character that maybe people don't even get to fight because sometimes you don't find the tombri until maybe the a special island that you find the strongest creatures on and also the other thing about tombri now i don't think this relates to you is that sometimes you in the world where you have to like uh the you get the encounters the random encounters sometimes you might run around for an hour and never find it now i don't think that necessarily relates to you but but I do think about like that in, its, in the sense of that's what the Tombury is. So there you go. Enjoy people searching for Tombury and, and you will then at some point get to see a visual of what Cam looks like. And then you'll be like, wow, is he just insulting him? I'm like, no, no. I know. And you're like, it's a small creature. Now everyone's going to be like, Cam Miller's a petite man. Kind of green and loves a butcher's knife for some reason. Right? <laughs> I don't know why this, this relates to him, but it's deep. It's deep. I went deep. I went into some deep facilitation metaphor stuff there. I, all right. I, that was a great level of tangent that I, I anticipated. Now I'm going to go into that with the serious question. This, this is like a two-parter too. But I've been mentioning like in podcast episodes, like in the recent, we talked about mistakes maybe that we've made, but I'm also talking about maybe things that I sort of now challenge in terms of the industry, like things that maybe I was taught that I don't necessarily agree with. So I'm going to take it in two parts. The first is, what's the best thing you have ever learned in this industry? Be comfortable with silence in the debrief. I was, it was like my first week facilitating and I was asking, I think just a basic debrief question of like, how did you feel during that activity? I remember it, it was, uh, it was called the electric fence back in the day, over under through is another name for it. And I was working with a bunch of high school kids and I asked, how did you feel I think I waited maybe three seconds. Like, because I felt, because I thought if I shared my thoughts, it would spark conversation. 
facilitator pulled me aside and I was like, that was a great like prompt, but just be okay with silence. Because silence, you never know it's going to push that one person who's been timid, afraid, or shy, and it's going to push them to finally speak up. So now I'll wait an uncomfortable amount of time sometimes, 10, 15 seconds before I say anything. And it, it time and time again, it's aided me in my facilitation. When you wait, it's uncomfortable. And then the person responded, uncomfortable for who? And I realized like, well, I don't know about others, but I know for me. So then it's like, is it about me? So I've, that was a good reframe as well with that. Like I was doing stuff because I was feeling awkward, not because someone's waiting for someone to fill the gap and often they're waiting for the facilitator to fill the gap. So if you let it go a little bit longer, then you actually get something. What's something that you were taught now that you now disagree with? Um, this could be a hot take, but I, I don't feel like the facilitator should be part of the group and that wording's not what I like. I think you should be there and present, but if you make the facilitation around your thoughts and what you planned out, you lose where the group needed to go based on what they talk about. Or like I, if I leave a group and set an expectation, like I want you to forget about me. I want you not to think about like, remember when Cam did this thing? Cause I'm, I'm a big personality. That's one thing I do know about myself is it, I'm just a big personality. I, I make a presence known. And, but if a group can only remember me, not remember what they did, I have failed. So I try really hard to, I'm present, I'm there making sure safety is followed, but I want, really want their experience to be around them with me there as a, a tour guide. I think one of the first thing, uh, questions I ask a group is, why are you here? And then subtly frame like, okay, so your experience is about your time here, what you do. Not anything I say, not anything I do, not anything any other group's doing right now. So we're going to focus on us here and now, and we'll go from there. Yeah. I, well, I think that that's empowerment, right? Like if you're, if you're able to, as a trainer or a supervisor, step away and let them do their job, then you've done the right job. Like I remember early on in my, when I was a challenge course manager, I'd set up all the elements and I would do all this extra stuff for them because I thought I was being helpful. But what I was actually doing was keeping all of the information to myself and I never imparted it. They couldn't do it without me. I made myself an invaluable, which was weird. But I was doing it out of some level of ego, but also feeling like I want to help and that wasn't helping. So like, let them do stuff. And often that's the best days. We talked about like kind of brings us back to start of the conversation where when you're seeing somebody have this growth of learning where they can end up doing something without you being there or you can just watch. Like last days of trainings are often the best when you say point at stuff and say, just set that up and run it. And they're like, look at you. And like, really? Like, yeah, you, you got it. And they just do it themselves and you just watch. It's like, that's when it's like, oh, right, see, I did, I did a good job. If they're still relying on you by the end of a training session, then you haven't probably set them up for success. Thank you, Cam. I'm going to throw into the description uh, your contact info, if that's okay with you. Give me a head nod or no. <laughs> I won't. Okay, great. And I'm also going to put information about Kiev Wabas in the description too, so you can check out them and learn all about their programming. I would encourage people to consider if you're starting in this field. I've often recommended it to newer people that that's a great place to look out to see if there's new jobs available. Uh, it's a good feeder program I found for the industry at large and that you get some great training and good experience working with some great clients and they've got great facilities and resources to support you in that group. So this could be a great stop for you as you're listening to this. If you're new to the field and you're thinking about a career 
uh, check out Kiev Wavas and um, check out Cam and connect with him. Perfect. Thanks, Phil. You're very welcome. Thanks for listening to Vertical Playcast. And then what about thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast? Can you do it? Okay, try. Thanks for giving. I think I'll pass the guy. <laughs>